Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and we'd like to thank Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada, for this episode. And Mike, we have just seen a great weekend of tennis in Vancouver, British Columbia, where Canada won a crucial Billie Jean King Cup qualifier over Latvia to advance to the World Group Stage Finals later this year. And we also have Bianca Andrescu rearing to go and play her first tennis in 2022. And Stefano Tsitsipas repeating as champion in Monte Carlo. So a lot transpiring uh, just over the past few days and the coming coming few days. And you also had a fantastic interview with a young Romanian player who I'll let you tell us all about as well. Yeah, I got to speak with Andrea Prisicario, um, an unlikely uh, player for Romania in their Billie Jean King Cup tie against Poland, who was called into action and got to face none other than world number one, Iga Sviantec uh, Prisicario. Uh, got quite a lot of attention for her pre-tie speech, which was like the rookie speech that she had to do that her teammates put her up to. And she did it with such ease and humor that uh, I had to reach out right away. And she was very gracious in taking some time with us. But uh, let's start with the Canadian team. And it was so great to see what they can do when they're near full strength, uh, having a a complement of players that I think puts us, you know, right near the top uh, on the women's game right now, led by none other than Leila Annie Fernandez, who did exactly what she needed to do as our number one singles player. And despite being the youngest player on the team by a fair margin, she really showed leadership in the way she conducted herself on court in those two matches. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think she just asserted herself as as the top singles player in this tie, top singles player in the court, and, and someone who can compete and, and win titles on the WTA circuit. We knew going in, um, Yelena Ostapenko suddenly unavailable for Latvia and unavailable for the upcoming tournament this week. I believe she has some illness. So Latvia was up against it. They were obviously the underdogs, but Layla and uh, Rebecca, Team Canada, just came in and did their job. And I think uh, Fernandez for me, was such a, a tone setter that first night on Friday, winning that first match comfortably, handily, 6-1, 6-2 over Daria Semenestaya, who, of course, I think was completely overmatched. And I think the match of this event was singles match number two, Rebecca Marino against Daniela Vismain, a more complicated, difficult three-set affair. Um, compelling second set where Vismain kind of rallied, won, won a tie break, and Marino was able to take over um, in the third, kind of get a handle on the match. And she's someone who we start looking at the rankings and suddenly she's charging towards the top 100. So we know she's putting together a great season. But yeah, Layla is, I, for me, the driving force of Team Canada right now. And the key player who I think is going to give us a chance in Billie Jean King Cup finals later this season, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. She's to be counted on and how quickly she's transformed from sort of being along for the ride to being the one driving the bus, so to speak, for Canada. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, Rebecca Marino, it's uh, boy, there's just been so many positive moments that you and I have uh, witnessed and pointed out on the podcast in the last couple of years. And, uh, and this is just another one for her to play in front of her home crowd. I think she had about 50 friends and family that were in attendance, uh, which must have made it super special for her. And even though she came out a little bit nervous in that first set, uh, and even though couldn't close out the second set and do it in straights, she got the win, which was huge. And uh, just a great moment to see her high-fiving that long lineup of teammates and personnel from Team Canada in the aftermath 
what a special moment for Rebecca Marino. Uh, and then that the doubles got in there as well, even though it was a dead rubber, that fourth match, uh, you know, the tie had already been sealed by that point with the three wins in singles. But to see Gabby Dabrowski out there, one of the best doubles players in the world. So mm-hmm. for the crowd in Vancouver to see her in action, and boy, did I think Carol Zhao played tremendous as well. She was so agile on the court, and the two of them were having so much fun, which obviously you can do when you know you've already sort of sealed the deal. But that match was a lot of fun, and I thought the Canadian crowd was very fair to the two their two opponents from, yeah. uh, from Latvia, that even though things had been wrapped up, uh, they were applauding their shots as well. And even though the Latvians knew that they were in over their head, I mean, you know, both their players were outside the top 200 in singles. As you mentioned, no Ostapenko, no Sevastova. Um, but those two girls, uh, young women, sorry, were, uh, were given it their best effort. And, uh, and they were smiling as well. So it's just nice to see that, that spirit of, of competition and goodwill between the two nations. Um, so kudos to, to Latvia, despite uh, obviously facing a much stronger Canadian squad here. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. I think it was a great weekend of sportsmanship. And as you said, fantastic crowd. If you're listening to the podcast, you're out in Vancouver, BC. I got a couple messages of of people who got down to the event and saying it was so well run as well that they just enjoyed it immensely. I thought the the atmosphere was electric, honestly. Um Great crowd, especially considering it's Easter weekend. You don't know, is everybody going to be around and everybody going to be able to make it out to a big sporting event? Um, the fans came out in droves and and really showed their appreciation. You could feel the love, particularly for Leila Fernandez, to me, who is probably the superstar here. And then, of course, Rebecca Marino, that massive hometown welcome. And a lot of fun just with a doubles match to close as well, as you said. And it was a great venue to have it at, too. It was at the Pacific Coliseum, which is where the Vancouver Canucks, the NHL team, used to play uh, Mm -hmm. their games. So, you know, a bigger venue than you might often see for something like this um, out out west. And uh, it just went so well. It felt a bit like a hockey game in that doubles match as the crowd was doing the wave and everybody was just into it. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, Ryan Borkson from Tennis Canada. Ryan is the tournament director for the Tevlin Challenger here in Toronto works for Tennis Canada, and this was his first time being tournament director of an international event for Canada. And so uh, good job, Ryan. You pulled it off. Everything went really smoothly, and I'm sure you'll be doing many more of those uh, down the road as well. So thumbs up. Yeah, definitely. And um, we we did have some good access to the players as well, virtually. And I wanted to give our listeners just a tidbit of this. I found this interesting um, chatting just a little bit with Layla after clinching the tie in her second singles win. And she was asked post-match um, how far she thought Canada could, do- could go. She said she thought they could win it all. So I wanted to ask her a little bit about that. Here's uh, my question and response from Layla Annie Fernandez. After, after your victory, and you uh, were mentioned, of course, that you guys qualified for the finals, and uh, Arash Badani asked how far you guys can go, and you said, we think we can win the whole thing. <laughs> it, it, it reminded me of um, after you beat Osaka at the U.S. Open, and you were mm-hmm. asked, uh, when did you believe you could win it? You said, um, the moment I stepped on the court. Have you always carried around that, that type of confidence, or is this something you think you've gained about yourself uh, these mm-hmm. past uh, couple of years? It's uh, definitely a work in progress. Uh, You know, when you first start playing tennis or when you first step on court, the players are either bigger, older, and sometimes you would even watch them on tour. And 
it's definitely a huge uh, sense of surprise like wow I'm I made it this far or you've seen them play on TV you're like wow like I'm finally playing against them so I think it's a it's just learning each day how to kind of manage those emotions have respect for your opponent but at the same time knowing that you're there for a reason you you worked hard just as hard as her or if not even more and that you earned your spot there so it's just uh just a work in progress and of course you got to have that fine line of not being overconfident so that when you step on court like I said you still have that same respect and that you're able to play the sport the way it's supposed to be played with a good attitude with the enjoyment with playing the crowd and just um just uh just bring that positive atmosphere for everyone to enjoy the the match that that's about to happen. Um, but I think over the years, I was just learning how to manage those emotions and then just step on court with that mentality that I can win the match, but there's always a chance that I can lose it. So it's more of, a, like I said, fine line of overconfidence or not, no confidence at all. And, you know, my parents also always told me that you step on court because you want to win. So it's you're not going to step on court thinking you're going to lose right away. That's not going to happen. And if you do think that way, then you might as well not play the sport. So it's just uh, it's just that mentality that I, that has been instilled in me. And it's also just experience. you got to keep learning, keep progressing and know where you've made the mistakes or know when to what you've done right so that you can keep going. There you have it. My exchange with Leila Annie Fernandez, um, kind of the key balancing act she was talking about of having confidence, but respect for one's opponent. And I just had to make that parallel when she said uh, she thought this team could win it all. It so much reminded me of when she just kind of won over that New York crowd saying she believed she could beat Naomi Osaka the moment she stepped on the court. And I think self belief is is so crucial in a sport like tennis where it is individualist you're on your own especially in singles um, but she's not arrogant either um, she knows she's not a perfect player she knows she's going to be facing tough challenges uh, ahead and that's going to be the case internationally and um, in her singles career as well so I think she's has the perfect balancing act down honestly so mature she's more mature than us and she's like <laughs> <laughs> well speak for yourself there ben come on sorry uh, sorry mike I like to consider myself pretty mature but yeah no no you're right you're right but uh great answer from layla and um now for her and for all these players as they said it, it's quickly back to the to the circuit it feels like almost like a weekend fun tennis party where you get to win like a team cont- competition and then you're right back at it um uh, alone for for the most part yeah, and, and fun for some nations and not as much fun for others who weren't able to advance. And mm-hmm. one of those nations that wasn't able to advance and they were a big underdog going in was was Team Romania, who was out Simona Halep and and so many of their top players. But uh, they went out there and, and did their best. And one of them was uh, unlikely um, uh, participant, Andrea Prisicario, who's ranked outside the top 300 in singles and just outside the top 200 in doubles. And she was called into action to play the world number one, Iga Sviantek. And uh, she caught lots of attention, not for the tennis match itself. Unfortunately, she went down six love, six love. And that was like a, a whole David and Goliath type situation right there when you're going up against the, a dominant world number one as well with Sviantek winning so much of late. Uh, but she was called into action to do a pre-tie speech on court uh, as part of her rookie initiation, if you will, to 
Billie Jean King Cup. And she really endeared herself to a lot of people in, in tennis Twitter where so many were coming together and saying, my goodness, this is the funniest speech I've ever seen because <laughs> it was so not the typical, right? It was so, there were no cliches. It was yeah. not your, your usual tennis player speech or athlete speech. She just went for it. And I thought she actually, like she absolutely nailed it and um, didn't know a lot about her beforehand, but reached out to her for an interview on Matchpoint Canada, and she was more than happy to oblige. So why don't I throw to that right now? We'll listen to Andrea Prisicario, and then we'll uh, bring you up to speed on, uh, on what it meant to her and, and what it meant to us to have her on the podcast this week. Happy to be joined right now for a special interview on Matchpoint Canada by Andrea Prisicario, Romanian tennis player who captured everybody's attention at the Billie Jean King Cup this past weekend. Uh, Andrea, thank you so much for taking the time, first of all, to join us today. Hi, I'm really happy to be here. There's no worries. It's my pleasure. Our listeners will be very excited, and we have many Romanian Canadians as well, so I know they'll be happy to hear from you. But I want to oh, get you right... Oh, we amazing. do. We yeah, do. There's, there's a strong Romanian population here in both Toronto and Montreal. That's nice. I want to get started right off the bat with the moment that's on everybody's mind, your speech at the Billie Jean King Cup prior to facing Poland. You absolutely stole the spotlight with how comfortable and incredibly funny you were introducing yourself in the team. Um, for those who aren't familiar with what happened, can you walk us through what the speech was for and, and how you came up with such a great uh, comedy routine? Uh, so basically, I woke up that morning and we went uh, for breakfast before our practice, our morning practice. And... Um, our chief from the organization asked me if I agree to do an interview because, you know, it was my first time I was like, you know, new in this stuff. So the ITF wanted me to, to make a debut speech or whatever. So of course I agreed because I really enjoy to talk to everybody. I'm a really social person and I'm friendly and I don't know, I like to meet people different kind of people to express myself and why not to inspire because that's that's my wish you know um and also the the key in uh, my speeches because you know i did i did a few in my life even if tell. it's not as important as this one of course um it's just i never prepare anything as i said also there i just go for it you know and what i see around me you know just gives me the vibe that I needed and of course uh, it was a really tough weekend for us because our team wasn't that complete at least that's what everybody's saying but if you ask me the team is a team no matter if we didn't have Simone our you know um, everybody Russe, Jacqueline or whatever so I think the team is a team no matter what but of course, the chances to win for us were a bit like low. <laughs> we agree on that, but still, uh, hope never dies. So in that moment, I was just looking around and I was like, okay, so I got to I gotta do this pitch. So I just need to be natural as I am every day. And for sure, the people, the right people would get me because also some people didn't get me and that's fine. But um, I heard that many told me that I was really emotional during that speech and that I was nervous. But to be honest with you, that's a that's a big lie because I'm never I'm never nervous on speeches. 
that's well, like my quality, you know. I don't I don't <laughs> so, think nervous is a word that most of us would use to describe what we saw. You seem very comfortable yeah. and lighthearted, but also at the same point, uh, you know, you spoke about peace, which is obviously such an important message right now. And I thought it just played it so 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 beautifully what you said on the court. And you know, tennis Twitter on social media sometimes can be divided, but I felt that you united so many people online in support of your your comments and your message. I'm really happy that happened. It wasn't, I mean, I didn't even think about it that I was such a big deal because, you know, I'm barely 300 something WTA and 199 in doubles, I think, which I found out this morning and I'm really happy about it. But um, I didn't, it wasn't my intention, you know, to create like this beautiful chaos because that's what I like to call. Right. But I'm glad it did happen because I also received like so many nice messages and I, I like to take my time in the evening to answer to everybody if that's possible. So uh, I really enjoyed to talk to them, you know, that's that's kind of it. Uh, I even <laughs> told the, uh, the, the guy that uh, was uh, in charge with the organization, he was Polish. You know, I told him, like, you know, I'm going to give you one of a hell of a speech. You know, you'll be amazed. And he's like, yes, I'm waiting for it. I'm like, OK, I'll do my best to do it. Well, you didn't disappoint in my, um, oh, gosh, how many years now? 14 years of covering professional tennis. I've never heard a speech like that. So that was, uh, you know, just something else. What, what was the feedback like from your teammates afterwards? And what was the reaction from Team Poland? Because I could only see the reaction from your teammates on court, not the other team. So uh, my team laughed, as you can see in the video. One of my colleagues died of laughter and tears, Andrea. But <laughs> I think they liked it. I mean, I asked them after that if they were pissed because I did some jokes and I, I felt so natural. And they were like, no, we enjoyed it. I'm like, okay. And then I also asked my captain if it was okay. And he was like, yes, definitely. You just go do your thing. And I'm like, okay, thank you. But uh, yeah, also Team Poland. I mean, I know the girls. Uh, Maya Charniska is, uh, is also my generation. Iga also knows me. And we'll, I mean, she knows me since I was a child with her, you know, the same tournament. So we know each other. So they, of course, they laugh because it's not the first time I made them laugh, I think. And, we and also used to last. laugh when we were 15. So even if we didn't see each other since then and she became world number one, yeah, I think she remembered we laughed. <laughs> so yes, it was a positive, a positive answer from from them. You know, That's, uh, uh, I just wanted like to create a good good vibe space. Yeah, like well, that. you definitely did. I can't wait to see what the next one will be like. Of course, for your Billie Jean King Cup debut, you had to play the world number one, Iga Sviantek. What went through your mind when you found out that you'd be playing her? Well. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't enter the court with the with the feeling of um, I don't know. I didn't feel scared, you know. I quite didn't. I was just nervous with my shots, you know. And it was the first time to play for my country in this kind of audience, so that made me a bit nervous than Iga itself, because you know I think it was a bonus for me that I knew her since we were 15. Um, so that helped me 
I don't know. She she kind of helped me feel comfortable on court because there was some. She was somebody I know. You know, it wasn't just somebody I met right there. You know, the the number one, and it's like you know you didn't see her, you didn't meet her, you don't know how she is. But she quite helped me to be okay on court. You know, because yeah, I'm. I don't know. It it felt it felt really good. But I entered the court with the thought of winning. I wanted to beat her. And I even told Horia before the match, I was like, okay, so I want to win this match. I know everybody's laughing because I'm thinking this, but I think that's the right way to see things. You can't enter the court uh, just thinking like, oh, I want to take two games or five or as many as I can. No, you enter the court because you want to win. So that was my mentality. And okay, I didn't win any game. That's still fine. Everybody was like harassing me with the fact that I didn't win any game. But that's fine, completely fine. I mean, it was the first time I ever played her in these circumstances. Um, I don't know, we had another final together, but uh, the Tennis Europe tournament. So she beat me then also. Seven, five, six love, I think, if I remember correctly. So it didn't bother me the fact that I didn't take any games. What scared me actually is that I gave 100% of myself and I didn't take any games, you know? So that means that I need to work like 200% of myself every day to give her a good match next time, you know? And until I meet her again, I need to work on myself and focus on myself and on my game until I reach that level to see her again. Because for now, you know, I'm going to get back after this week to play 25Ks, 60Ks, whatever, whatever I enter, because I also need to defend some points. So, yes, there's a pressure, but I'm, I think I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm 22. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not thinking that, oh, my God, time, time is not by my side because it is. So I, I, I will not think about it in a negative way. And you've had the experience sure. to, to play the world number one player, which is something that most players playing in ITF events, Definitely. smaller events, don't get that opportunity, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a blessing for me. You know, did, it was a, definitely a blessing. How did you find the level of her play compared to, I mean, most opponents in the ITFs you, you face are outside the top 100. How big of a difference was it to face someone of her skill set out there? What did you take away from, from her game? So um, I played before some some players that were top 100, for example, Kukova. I think um, I beat her uh, a few months ago last year uh, in Valencia, if I remember correctly, in third set. And she was back then 80-something or 70-something, I'm not sure. And then I played my friend, Miki Buzarnescu, you know, and I took her just one game. <laughs> So, I mean, the level I kind of knew, but I didn't expect that much focus. I mean, I was looking into her eyes and I, I tried to analyze everything that she does, you know, to try to find something to make her feel uncomfortable on court. And I couldn't, you know, um, I tried to play with a drop shots. It didn't work because she likes to run and she runs really fast and good. She has long, strong uh, legs. Then I tried to open the angles, but I felt like she was playing even better with open angles. It was amazing. And then I said, okay, let's hit hard in the middle. But because I was too nervous in this part, 
in my upper body part, I couldn't really feel my shots, you know, like I used to in practice. So she made me not to see any way to beat her. That was what, what I saw in her. And I really appreciated the focus in her eyes, as I said, and um, the calmness that she has on court, you know, the, the way she could just play at this high level with somebody that's free that's uh that's top 300 you know because that's also a big bonus for her because she played like she was playing serena williams you know i mean that's the focus i felt so definitely i have to catch that from her you know and try to use it as my own because i need to make my mind bulletproof as she does in yeah. my own way and uh, and she's shown that that focus and that incredible ability as if she's playing, you know, Serena Williams or Ash Barty in every match over the past two months. She's been so consistent and so strong. Um, so it's nice to hear you taking the positives from that moment. Now, when we had you on the podcast here and I was so excited to, when you said yes, thank you so much for immediately replying back to my request. Um, because, yeah. again, I was seeing just the positive side of it that hey, here's this player ranked outside the top 300 who approaches this with such positivity and, and such class and, and an open mind. And even in defeat, six love, six love comes away and, and focuses on the positive. And then you told me before we hit record that uh, some of the reaction has actually been quite negative back home in Romania. And I was so um, disappointed to hear that for you. Can you talk a little bit about what that um, negative reaction has been like and, and what people are, are saying? Because to me, it seems like such a positive, inspiring story. Um, they see me as a tattoo girl uh, with no uh, culture. They see me as a rebel, you know, as a wild something, I don't know. They see me as a girl who, who uh, likes to be in the center of attention just with pictures, you know, that's, you know beach pictures or um at the seaside or whatever they they see me as that they also see me in some words that i cannot pronounce because i you know uh, without wanting i read some comments that i didn't want to read but it happened and uh also some big personalities from here had a specific opinion about my speech so um Romanian people didn't even translate the press conference or the speech in the correct way. So the fact that they didn't even know to translate it in the correct way seems funny to me, you know, to judge me without knowing anything and to also judge me, you know, at this kind of level. I mean, I got used to receive bad comments before. It's fine because we all do. But I didn't see any tennis player to be treated like this, you know, with such such hate. And um, I don't even know how to describe it. Is it because jealousy? Is it because they are bored? Or I don't know. But the fact that um, they try to to kill the the inner child that I have in me and this passion that I like to see things and talk about it is just, you know, cruel. Uh, but I'm really glad that my personality doesn't let me let them bring me, bring me down. You know, I'm happy that I'm a, I'm a Viking in this kind of way. And so their perception of me don't, doesn't affect me in any way. 
uh, at least I'm working on that. And um, from this day on, I said to myself and promised to myself that I'm not going to read any article about me in Romania, you know. I don't want to, I don't need it anymore. And it was my fault that I've been friendly with, with the press because I always tried to expose the real parts of an athlete life, the good and the bad times. I don't want to be like a normal athlete who has the same speech all over again and to say like, okay, thank you for coming here. I love you all. I want to do my best, you know, and then that's it. No, I want to, I want to show some real side. You know, I want to show the pain. I want to show the love, the suffering, the process of becoming a tennis player because I wasn't, I didn't have the privilege to get wild cards or whatever to get the points and get to wake up at 19 years old, the uh, top five, like top 50 you know I didn't have that privilege so it's fine and also I didn't I didn't have the the circumstances you know to be as my generation is because I had a really strong generation um Andrescu, Jamstrenska, Zavatska, Kaya Yuvan, yes um Iga you know Maya Charlinskaya I had a strong strong generation including Potapova you know and um yeah, you just I'm the only one standing at my age in my country. The rest of them went to college. I'm the only one standing here. So if they want to bring me down and kill me, that's fine. They they can try that. But I'm just going to work as I did before, you know. I cannot um I don't want to be I don't want to become as like them, you know. I don't want to become this. Well, good I just for have you. to your, be me. Your spirit is incredible. Your response there was absolutely terrific. And I love how you called it sort of a, a Viking spirit, uh, I guess, to be so strong against that adversity that, that you faced. And uh, really sorry to hear that. We've seen so much over the past two years about how, how people can, you know, professional athletes can be faced with this kind of criticism and attack, both from This the is media called and, bullying. Yeah, and sure. people sitting this at home. This is called bullying. And I yeah. think you're right. They're when sitting you say, in the chair. Yeah, I think you 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 nailed it on the head exactly when you said people who are bored or people who are jealous, because I can't imagine how anyone else would approach, you know, what we saw from you on the court there any differently. And so I, I wish you continued strength and support um, in what you're doing. And uh, what you said to me right there, that attitude seems just you're such a role model to 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 young kids everywhere who might be facing that kind of mentality. Yes, I'm. I'm i'm trying to to be the best version of myself um that's something that i heard from Kobe bryant uh who's one of the persons i really admire and love uh and um you know everybody's like trying to be something they cannot be and they're trying to fake their own personality you know for everybody else to like them but i suggest that everybody does what the hell they want from heart because if it comes from the heart you have no regret afterwards you know that's my mentality i did want to ask you about canada because we are a canadian tennis podcast have you ever played in canada before even been to canada before never but i always wanted to go well we've got lots of tournaments at all sorts of levels so we'll have to make sure that you have a peek at the calendar in the uh, late summer early fall and, and get you over here because i think you'd Definitely enjoy it, and I could guarantee you the fans would uh, would take to you and support you 100%. I definitely want to go to the zoo. I heard you have a big zoo, 
and I'm really passionate about animals, so I would like to see different species of stuff. <laughs> That's also one of my stuff that I want to do. <laughs> we'll talk to Tennis Canada and make that happen. How's that sound? Yep, definitely. <laughs> Tell me, what are your plans for the spring in terms of your schedule and uh, your goals for the rest of 2022? So, as I said at the beginning of the year, my goal for this year is to enter top 100. Sounds really, really hard but in my head everything everything is nice in my own head you know and I think that's important I'm a positive person so I'm gonna work for that my next tournament will be a 60k in Istanbul I'm gonna play qualities I'm leaving this Friday and um, then like as big events um, I'm uh, I want to play at Bisbal in Spain. Uh, I won a 60K in doubles last year there, but this year they are trying to make it 100. So let's see if I get in. Uh, and then, uh, to be honest, I don't know. They ha We have, like in Europe, many 60K, so I'm going to try to go for that. Uh, and who knows, maybe I'm going to I'm gonna do my job as I want, you know, and realize what I want to realize. And then I'm going to get the points to enter the big stuff, the big stages, because that's where I want to be. And um, I want to I wanna play against the best in order to become the best, you know. Right. Well, it looks to me like you're definitely ready for the big stage. Um, before we wrap up, I was going to ask you a few rapid fire questions, if that's OK. Just quick question, quick answer, whatever comes into your head yep. first. Whatever comes first, I know. <laughs> I figured, I figured okay. you'd, be, you'd be good with this. Okay, so here we go. Perfect, S let's go. Serve or return of serve? Return. Uh, tweener or overhead smash? What did you say, the first word? A tweener, when you hit from between your legs. Oh, definitely a smash. I'm going to hurt myself if I do a tweener. That's what, <laughs> that's what I say every time I try one of those two. Yeah. Morning match or evening match? Doesn't matter. I'm always ready. If you weren't a tennis player, you would be? Uh, a MMA fighter. Do you have more or less than 10 tattoos? I have 32. 32? Oh, my goodness. I should have yes. asked. I went way too low on that one then. <laughs> Who's the player you'd most like to face? Ah, oh, damn. Serena Williams. Nice. And who's the player you'd most like to play doubles with as a partner? Serena Williams. Good. What's the scoreline if you play Iga again in a rematch? Uh, she needs to give me a bit more time to get ready for her. But I can't say a score, but I need a bit more time for yeah. sure. That's my answer. <laughs> well, I'll be looking forward to the rematch and I'll be looking forward to your next... Billie Jean King Cup tie. Boy, it would be fantastic if it could be against Canada. And uh, Andrea, you're such, you're such a good sport. Um, thanks again for taking the time for us and for opening up so honestly about your experience, both the positive and the negative over there. Uh, we wish you the best moving forward and hope to see you come to our peaceful country sometime soon. Thank you so much.
there you have it. Mike's interview with Andrea Priscariu, um, who did have that opportunity to face the world number one, Iga Sviantek in the Billie Jean King Cup, which um, I was fascinated by just listening to her discuss that because what stood out to me in that conversation was the focus and determination that she said she could see in Iga's eyes. And I think that's a, a crucial separator um, for why Iga is such a fantastic champion that she's not taking any opponent lightly whatsoever. And I've heard her speak about this impress of just trying to um, focus and be present in the moment at all times. And this is why she's won 19 matches in a row, why she was our Miami Open champion recently, why she's just playing unbelievable tennis. And you think of her, her opportunities that await now on the clay, the way she's playing. Yeah, and Iga, who's one of the nicest off the court, uh, on the court, obviously ruthless, and mm -hmm. that's how you have to be, just going for it every game, not willing to give up a single game in that one. And uh, Priest Sicario, you know what, like coming into the interview, I thought, oh, this will be really lighthearted, and what a great kind of fun story and a quirky personality. And, uh, and then I realized in talking to her, even before I hit record on the interview, that there was this negative aspect to it, that she's taken so much... Uh, negativity from some of the Romanian press back in her home country and from uh, people who were sending her these bullying messages through social, social media as well about her performance. Uh, look, she's the 14th best Romanian professional tennis player in terms of the rankings I went through. What mm -hmm. do you expect someone like that, and no offense to her, of course, right, to be able to do against the world number one? And so I think for anyone to uh, slag her for that and obviously I, I mentioned it in my interview to Andrea saying that she's such an inspiration for putting on such a brave face and carrying through it and persevering and trying to ignore all of that kind of talk because it's just so disheartening to hear that anyone should have to put up with that especially someone who was not expected to be in a competitive match in the first place under those circumstances. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad, honestly. And uh, I think um, sh she has a certain image and look that maybe some people are not used to in tennis. But personally, I, I love it. it. It's different. She's charismatic. She has a great personality. She's very funny, as we, of course, saw in that speech. And I hope she can achieve her goal. I'm sure top 100 for this season is going to be very difficult to attain where she's at now. But many months left, as she points out, still, she's only 22 years old. So her career is just beginning as well. And she's already become this um, fascinating personality on the tour that people are knowing and learning about, um, you know, somewhat through that speech as well. I really hope people rally behind her and support her because, you know, we've seen how many tennis players in the last couple of years who were suffering with mental health. And a lot of that is brought on because of the external pressure. Mm -hmm. Hey, I get it. There's pressure being an athlete. It doesn't come naturally to everybody. But then yep. when you have to deal with, you know, these keyboard warriors, these people that are so brave behind their laptop or their phones who are going out of their way to, to put someone down. Like, look, if you're not a fan of her game or if you're not a fan of, you know, whatever, then just that's your thing. But there's no need to go after someone specifically who just gave their best effort. And, and that's what she said to me. She tried yep. every tactic. She tried mixing it up. She tried going for the angles. She tried hitting to the body and it just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That's that's totally expected under those circumstances. And she's going up not just that, that was her first time, I think, playing a top 100 player currently alone, in the rankings <laughs> and you got to start with number one so my yeah. goodness you know all the best to uh, andrea moving forward we'll be keeping a close eye on her progress i'm sure she'd come back and chat with us again and i was trying to tell her like hey come to canada because there are so many romanians in both toronto and montreal that i'm yes. sure would uh, would rally behind her they're always so supportive of the romanian players 
And uh, I don't know if you uh, realized it, but I, I did a little tribute to you, Ben, in that I did the rapid fire. Oh, I heard. <laughs> at the end of the interview. And I don't generally go for the rapid fire, but you kind of inspired me. My, uh, my problem with the rapid fire is I often don't know what to say after a short little exchange, you know? Yeah, like, it's, it's oh, challenging. Oh, is that so? And so I feel kind of <laughs> awkward sometimes, but... Yeah, she made it really easy on me and, and gave me, I think, some good answers. So a lot of fun with it. I was a little bit off with my tattoo count. I was guessing somewhere around 10, and she mentioned she had 32 tattoos. So wow. my goodness, that's uh, yeah. that's a lot of ink. But um, yeah, Andrea Prisicario, thank you so much. And uh, look forward to talking to her again down the road. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's stick uh, just quickly with women's tennis uh, on the WTA side of what the event we do have already beginning in Stuttgart, the Porsche Tennis Grand Prix. Big story here, of course, uh, not just in Canada, but I, I think for the tour in general is it's going to be the first time we see Bianca Andreescu uh, competing for the first time since Indian Wells last fall in October. Gosh, another long layoff, but Bianca Andreescu making her 2022 uh, season debut on the clay I I you know we've discussed this before I feel like we haven't had a proper clay court season from her on tour really uh through her career but she'll open um Tuesday uh which is probably the day you're listening to this podcast against uh, Jules Niemeyer of Germany if she wins this match she could have an opportunity to face uh number three seed Arena Sabalenka so I'm not going to place too much expectations I'm just so thrilled that she's back competing again for sure. I mean, six months is, is a long time and it's not like she played a ton before that either. So, mm -hmm. you know, since her big year of 2019, unfortunately, we haven't seen a whole lot of Bianca. There were the physical issues, of course, and now there were the mental hurdles as well that she was quite candid in discussing. She needed time off to recharge and, you know, feel at her best. And everything I've seen through social media and some of the few interviews she's done so far, she says she's ready to go. So that makes me feel like very positive about where she's at uh, at this point in time. She could have come back right after the Aussie swing, decided to take a little bit longer and good for her. Um, can't believe six months since she played at Indian Wells, which sounds so funny that Indian Wells again was that fall <laughs> version of Indian yeah. Wells, which I hope we, we never have to do again. Um, mm -hmm. I looked at how little clay court um, she's, uh, she's had in terms of her experience the past few years. She's only played six matches on clay since Roland Garros qualifying back in 2018. Wow. That I mean, that's, is so she she hasn't she has not had a, a clay court season, essentially. That's not right. Not, not, not only has she not had a clay court season, she's she's barely touched the surface when you think about it mm -hmm. the past four years. So um, I think that can work to her advantage in some ways in that the clay court season is only just now starting. So there yeah. aren't like a ton of players who've got a lot of experience on the, the red dirt right now. Mm -hmm. um, but that being saying, it really tempers my expectations uh, because, you know, she's almost like a rookie again on the surface, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, she did have like a nice... I think lengthy training block at the Rafa Nadal Academy that was all on clay. So she's definitely been getting ready, which is great. I think this is a perfect place to start. Interesting matchup. You think Jules Niemeyer, who's ranked 108 in the world, that's quite winnable and, and probably a type of match you would want to start off your campaign and, and not something a little more intimidating. I'd be really excited to see a second round match between her and Sabalenka, to be honest. That is some heavyweight hitting if we get a matchup like that. And, you know, Stuttgart, it, it's not a WTA 1000, but this is a very deep field when you look at the players I mentioned in Sabalenka. Iga Spiontek, uh, after helping uh, Poland, of course, qualify for the finals, she's headed there and she's won nine, 19 matches in a row. So she's number one seed, of course. 
has to be the favorite. Paula Bedoso, we know she plays great tennis on clay. She's there. Maria Sakari, Contevade, Kvitova, a lot of fantastic players in this field. So it's it's a big time draw. Yeah, it's a good draw. And in smaller tournaments, sometimes you get those fantastic matchups almost right off the bat. So it's going to mm-hmm. be terrific. Um, I've been seeing a lot of pictures of Bianca, courtesy of one of our good friends, Jimmy48, our favorite tennis yep. photographer, who's covering the event. And I just touched base with him the other day. He's hoping to connect with us uh, towards the end of this week for an interview. So hopefully he's got some insight as well up close. Uh, he's not just a photographer, but a tennis aficionado as well. So Hopefully we get some insight from him from what Bianca looked like up close. And uh, maybe he'd be willing to share some of those pictures with us too, to use on our social channels. Um, But yeah, I think just great, regardless of what happens, whether she goes out early or has a bit of a run here, it's just so good to see Bianca Andreescu back. And speaking of our Billie Jean King cup team at the start of our episode, wouldn't it be great to have her back in the mix? And that's no disrespect to anyone who just played in Vancouver, Mm -hmm. but a healthy Bianca playing at her best paired with Leilani Fernandez that's almost as good a one-two punch as any country I think has. Yeah, and I, I just want to note, actually, because Tom Tebbett asked Heidi Eltebach after Canada won the tie, well, what was the most important thing for her team heading to the finals later this year? And she, saw, she said she thinks a healthy team. That was that was the number one goal was having a healthy team Um, and a healthy team would feature Bianca Andreescu, of course. Uh, You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada, also on YouTube and Facebook. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. We will quickly shift over to the men's side and the Monte Carlo Masters um, that just wrapped up from this past week. All the hype, I think, going into to this tournament was, of course, Novak Djokovic playing just his second event of 2022. Carlos Alcaraz, who had been playing unbelievable tennis. Both of them crash out early, and it's Stefano Tsitsipas repeating as champion. He was kind of able to just um, hold steady with his ship and play some unbelievable clay court tennis. And uh, kudos to him. I feel like he'd had a bit of a rocky campaign apart from semifinals in, in Australia, and suddenly he's, he's right back on track. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, how it's been rocky for him. But then I looked at his results all year long. And you know what? There are a lot of players out there that would would take those results any day of the week. So Mm -hmm. uh, here he is showing, once again, his consistency on the surface. Great player on all surfaces. And um, Djokovic going out early didn't, like, totally shock me. It was perhaps who he went out to, as I did think he'd make it a little bit deeper in the draw. But such was not the case. Uh, I had an Alcaraz Djokovic matchup and I think everyone was kind of hoping that was going to happen. And yeah, I mean, how many times over the years have you wanted a match so badly and it then just doesn't happen because the tennis gods say, ah, not this time uh, tennis fans. Right. So exactly. we, we, we weren't um, you know, able to enjoy that one yet. Although I'm sure a Djokovic Alcaraz match at some point will happen and I'll be sitting uh, down and watching that one in its entirety. But, uh, you know, in this case, good job for some of these, like Davidovich uh, Fokina. Terrific. He's up 19 spots to number 27. Uh, first final of his ATP career, I believe. Yep. And, uh, and just such a fantastic week for him. So nice to see those kind of results. It's funny, you know, we were just saying recently, there's no such thing as a true clay court player anymore. But there are guys who obviously relish the surface. And then there's some guys who kind of surprised me, like Hubert Hercatch, who did not have a good clay season whatsoever a year ago. Mm-hmm. And he made it pretty far and, and had a chance to go a little bit further, too. But uh, I forget. I'm, I'm drawing a quarterfinals, quarterfinals. Yeah. And then uh, Dimitrov actually beat him to make, yeah, make Dimitrov, the semis. Right. And that yep. one was a real back and forth in that final set, too. So 
Um, it just make what I'm trying to say is it's so difficult to predict on clay. And there is my built-in excuse for however I did in the tennis Canada bracket challenge this week. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's totally fair. But um, yeah, look for Novak Djokovic. It, it's odd. Monte Carlo, he's won a, a couple of times, but for whatever reason, I mean, it's kind of the beginning of the clay court season. And I think that transition and sort of him getting his feet wet on that surface it's where he's going to be a bit more prone to upsets. Actually, Yuri Vesely, who beat him earlier this season, I think he beat him at Monte Carlo about six years ago when Djokovic was on some massive winning streak, and then it was ended by Yuri Vesely. Djokovic lost here to Dan Evans last season, which was a, a huge shock to everybody. And then he runs into, um, Novak called him a clay court specialist. You look at the stats, I, I think Davidovich Fokina is, and the crowd, by the way, was absolutely loving this guy. He's diving all over the court. I mean, <laughs> I mean, his T-shirt has changed colors to the red clay um, for the number of times he's diving, stretching for volleys and balls like uh, a great competitor on the court. So it was a well-deserved upset. I was maybe almost more surprised to see Alcaraz exit early just based on his form. But um, look, Sebastian Corda, a great great tennis player and it's rare that we see an American who can play this great tennis on clay too so that was a big upset uh, early in the tournament and kind of just shook up the draw and for me it was like Tsitsipas was the one like really doing his job holding down the fort as the number three seed and and uh, defense as champion yeah it's true and uh, Alcaraz I wonder and I don't know the guy whatsoever I never had a chance to speak with him or see him up close but I, I wonder there's been so much hype over him in the past yes. few weeks you wonder if a little bit too much of that started sinking in and making them just a little too comfortable. I mean, it's a surface switch too. So there's always the unpredictability mm -hmm. of that when you go to clay, but I just wonder if it made him a little bit softer and took away a little bit of that competitive edge that we saw on the hard courts when you're just heaped with all this praise at the age of 18 out of nowhere. And that's got to, I mean, even people who are as even keel as can be and modest as can be. And he strikes me as someone who's kind of, you know, more leaning towards that side of things yeah but it's got to kind of dull your senses just a little bit i would think yes yeah i i wouldn't i wouldn't doubt it at all he was actually asked uh, in an atp interview which surface did he prefer and he almost started to say clay and then said hardcourts actually i like hardcourts um which which actually su surprised me a little um but but Credit to, to Tsitsipas, who's had a lot of detractors these past few months uh, criticizing um, his camp, his coaching staff. But uh, look, he's he's won another big title. Just quickly shifting over to some of the action we're getting this week. ATP Barcelona 500. We're so used to seeing Rafa Nadal play this every season, win it practically every season. He's still not quite healthy and ready to go. Stefano Tsitsipas still in the draw, so I guess he's feeling refreshed after Monte Carlo. I think he will play as the number one seed. Also, there, Casper Ruud is number two. Um, Felix Ojealiasim in the field as the number three seed. I think he needs a win, um, just, just a match victory, and it's going to be tough because he could be facing Korda in his very first match. Yeah, he definitely needs some wins after such a strong start to the season. It's been... Uh... Pretty slim pickings for Felix Auger-Aliassime lately. And uh, I wonder how the transition to clay is going to help him. Uh, he has had success on the surface in the past. In fact, I would say of all our singles players on clay, he would be, you know, my number one pick if I had to have a match on the surface and depend on someone. Uh, but that being said, it's been a while since he's had success on clay. And uh, I saw you have a little Twitter exchange with uh, one of our former Tennis Canada buddies, Jeff Donaldson, recently kind of, mm -hmm. I think, going back and forth about, you know, why he's no longer perhaps as comfortable on the surface. 
you're more the tennis player than than I am. I just played the other day and, and got bageled, which I didn't mind <laughs> tweeting out to anyone who cared to listen, but that's okay, onwards and upwards. Um, but uh, yeah, what were you and Jeff uh, saying about perhaps why he's uh, struggled recently uh, with the clay court game? Yeah, I, I think it might be a matter of determining the type of game style and way he wants to play on this surface, because I think it has to be a different point of attack compared to the way he sort of hits and develops and builds his game on hardcore, which is incredibly successful. He looks a, a little bit lost out there. And I, I look at someone like Casper Rude, and he wins a lot of clay matches, um, plays a lot of heavy spin, bigger margins, very balanced around the court and can grind people down. I see all those skills in Felix's game who can play with that heavy spin, um, play with a bit more margin. So you, you minimize mistakes. You don't have to flatten out the ball as much on, on hard court. I, I think he needs a bit more of that element to his game. I, I think he can find it, you know, he was in the Rio open final three years ago when he was a teenager. So seemingly he, he can progress even further from that. So I and, think he and has, he's working with uncle Tony. So, I mean, that's got to help you on the surface too, right? Yeah. And he was, he was there this past tournament in Monte Carlo. So I will say too, his loss in Monte Carlo, Musetti is a fantastic clay pay, player, very good on clay. So six, two, seven, six, there, tough loss. I, I think he can do it. He's still young. I hope he can figure it out. Maybe it happens um, right away in, in Barcelona. We'll see. We also have the Serbia open from Belgrade. Of course, Novak Djokovic's home tournament. He played there last Last year, lost in a thriller to Aslan Karatsev, and he'll be the number one seed. Um, prediction here, I'm not sure who's going to win this title. I don't know that we'll see uh, a one-and-done situation for Novak Djokovic again, though. I think he's going to be even hungrier back home. He could run into Laszlo Gera early, who's a very good player on clay, actually. Yeah, things are going to click for Djokovic. It's only a matter of time. And I have no doubt that, you know, these losses right now probably don't affect him in a huge way because he's looking at his eye on the prize. He wants to get that slam to tie him now with Rafa Nadal. So he's going to be gearing up for Roland Garros. And I'd be shocked if we didn't see Novak in the semifinals or better once we get to that best of five stage where he's been honed in and, and had so much success in the past. So I'm willing to brush these losses off as I'm sure the Nole fam and all of his uh, fans out there are willing to do as well. Uh, but great to see him back. I hope we get Rafa back soon. I'm starting to get a little bit excited about seeing Roger maybe on grass this year. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see the three of them going at one time. I'd like to see the three of them in a tournament again in a draw. And maybe we save this discussion for another week. But uh, I do hope that we get to see some more big three action um, while we still can. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Dominic team also in the field in the Belgrade Open, still looking for his first win of 2022. So uh, we'll see if that happens. Just uh, one final note. I'll wish a, a friendly goodbye to Tommy Robredo, who has officially announced his retirement, played his last match actually uh, at the Barcelona Open in front of the Spanish crowd. Of course, great Spanish player. 23 seasons he played. He actually turns 40 in May. So we talk about longevity with, with some of these guys. And Robredo, who was one one of them who had a very lengthy career always felt like he was consistently top 40 top 30 top 20 and beyond oh he was consistent for a long time yeah i mean he had some time in the top 10 as well right yep. but he was like a top 20 presence i don't have the stats in front of me but he was a top 20 presence for a good long while that guy was sticking around and i mean 23 seasons my goodness when he started his pro career i, I barely had my driver's license so that's yeah that's uh that's a good uh, good chunk of change there for tommy And, um, you know, someone who obviously loved the sport. I mean, he hasn't been super relevant the past, I want to say, four or five years, but he's hung around 
I would say, because he loves tennis. So got to admire someone like that, that is willing to just play for the love of the sport and continue to grind it out there, uh, despite the fact that the losses were, you know, outweighing the wins at that point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 12 career titles. Biggest was Hamburg 2006. One of the best wins of his career too. fourth round, defeating Roger Federer at the U.S. Open in 2013. That is a wrap from us, guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Once again, we'd like to thank Hotel X for being the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. Guys, we will talk to you next time. <laughs>